chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Last week we started a series on the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. The first 12 verses deal with um, what is called the Beatitudes. Somebody said the Beatitudes are attitudes that ought to be in our life. Um, And really it deals with uh, an attitude of our heart. And yet when you get in and look at them, it, it really could end up to be quite confusing. We mentioned last week that the blessing that God gives is to know that my spirit is at peace with God and things are right between God and I. And he said, if you develop a poverty of spirit, in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A poor, the poor in spirit is that that realizes I am helpless and hopeless without Christ. And it's, I'm bankrupt, I am broken, I have nothing to offer God. And understanding, not just for salvation, but throughout our life. Well, then he goes on to the second one that we want to look at today. And it's very similar But it says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, wait a minute. We we know that Scripture says in Philippians and in many places, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So, um, what's this? I am to rejoice in the Lord. I am to... A cheerful countenance is like medicine. A merry heart is like medicine. I am to let the joy of the Lord be my strength. And now we come along in the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, Blessed are those that mourn. And in your mind, in my mind, it may, it may be the grinding of the gears. Rejoice in the Lord. Oh, blessed are they that mourn. Wait a minute, how's that fit? How's that fit? Really? Seriously? Blessed are those that mourn? Well, there must be some hidden message in the mourn that is here. Well, when you get in and look at the original language, it it means to grieve, mourn, needless to say, to wail a deep, lasting inner mourning. Not just some outer wailing that words reflect, but a deep sense of grief and sadness inside. So you say, oh, 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 I'm supposed to have this grief and sadness inside, but but outside have this joy and happiness. No, that, that's a hypocrite, right? So, what, how does all this fit? I don't know. You go figure it out and we'll come back next. No. But seriously, if you take 
one aspect of Scripture, and as we're doing here, this aspect of Scripture, we know that Scripture does not contradict itself. And so, in any time when you come to Scripture and you say, that, that does not make sense, you know the problem is with us, not with God. And God will guide us into truth if we have a desire to walk in truth. But truly, Jesus is laying down foundational principles of how individuals can know the blessing of God on their life and to know the peace of God ruling in their hearts. And he says you need to have poverty of spirit and you need to understand about mourning. First of all, mourning cannot be avoided. Grieving, um, a, a deep, utter sadness. Why? Life is hard. The world is full of sorrow. It's full of frustration. It's full of rejection. It's full of defeat. And we have something inside us that makes us immediately, if we see someone in mourning, that makes us immediately want to try to stop it or fix it. We desire that in our own life. When when uh, a situation that brings sadness, a hardship that comes into our life, often our first prayer is, God, remove this. Or we see it in someone else, from a, a little child. Um, we we want to seek to remove it. Um, in life, there are many, because of the curse... There are many, many things that bring sorrow and frustration, as we've said, that bring mourning. Some people say they've been hurt so deeply that they vow to never allow that to happen again in their life, so they harden their heart to the point that they they never mourn that anyone notices, but inwardly their life is a continual grief. And often that continual grief then eventually comes out of their life. We're seeing much of what is happening in our world today is the result of people responding wrong to the difficulties of life, the hardships of life, and becoming bitter and angry and lashing out at others. And they don't understand this aspect of what life is about. God is telling us here in this passage that mourning has a purpose and that it can be very good. But it's also understanding mourning cannot be avoided. In fact, some people that may seek to avoid it all their life 
and don't come to the full fruition of what we're going to get to today of the purpose that God uses mourning in our life is is the understanding they go through life without ever acknowledging God in all of it and they will have mourning for all eternity because it says they'll be separated from God where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal mourning. But there's not just, oh, there's merit in mourning. There is a mourning that is unfruitful, that doesn't produce what God desires it to. An unfruitful mourning focuses on the personal loss or shame. I am mourning because I have been shamed in this situation. I am mourning because I've lost something. The home of Paul Dunbar, a noted poet, was open to the public in Dayton, Ohio. And when Dunbar died, his mother left his room exactly as it was on the day of his death. And at the desk of this brilliant man was his final poem, handwritten on a pad of paper. After his mother died, her friends discovered that Dunbar's last poem had been lost forever. Because his mother had made his room into a shrine and had not moved anything, the sun bleached out the ink on the poem and it was gone. She was mourning over the loss of something personally. And in this morning, it didn't produce a fruit that produced anything worthwhile. In fact, she lost through it. Unfruitful mourning grieves selfishly over a thwarted attempt. We want something, we give ourselves to it, and we fail to get it. And we grieve and we mourn. And I lost this. Last night, Asa and Denny and I attended a soccer game. And in the game, they throw out T-shirts into the crowd in little bundles. And they threw one up our way. And it came over and landed right behind. And I grabbed it. And... um And there was a girl sitting next to me, and I grabbed it and just threw it to Ace and Denny. And a little bit later, Ace is handing me the T-shirt, give it to that girl. She's crying. I didn't rip it out of her hands. I didn't knock her down or... So she was mourning. She wanted the T-shirt. And she didn't get it. This big, mean bully took it from her. So we gave her the T-shirt, okay? Now, you say, well, that was mourning that was fruitful. That isn't the mourning that is talking about here, okay? Um, 
we we set our goal for something and we don't get it and we have a grief and and a sadness and a mourning that enters into our own heart there's people that have mourning and remorse because they're caught in sin that's not a fruitful mourning that's not the mourning that god is talking about here There are individuals that are bearing the consequences of sin and and the result of the sin and they're grieving over that and they're they're saddened by the consequences of sin. But what fruit is it producing? Sorrow in and of itself is not a blessing. We need to ask ourselves a question. Why am I crying? And you may not be crying tears, but why am I mourning? Why am I dejected? Why am I griping and complaining about this? Why why am I like this? And ask another question. What action am I crying out for? What am I asking God to do? What action? See, we, we can be greatly moved, and, and oftentimes we as people will say, Wow, I, I think they're really serious. They're really, they're really crying about this, and they're crying out to God. Only God knows the heart. They may be crying because I just, I just want this pain gone. They may be crying, I just want this public shame gone. I want, so we need to ask ourselves and ask the Spirit to help us understand, why am I in mourning? Why am I crying? What is the, the root motive that I have here. And what action am I crying out to be taken? What action am I desiring to be, to be done? There, there is mourning that is unfruitful. But there is fruitful mourning. And I want to list some characteristics of fruitful mourning. Mourning that produces the fruit that is blessed is concerned for God's name. First and foremost, it's concerned for God's name. We don't have time to go into it, but Nehemiah was mightily used of God to rebuild the walls and saw a great revival and amazing works done. What motivated Nehemiah was not to build something so that he'd have a book in the Bible named after him. Not to build his own name. But what motivated Nehemiah is, God, you are the God of Israel, and this is a mockery to you that that our city is broken down. God, it's your name. 
We're all familiar with the story of David and Goliath. What motivated David? What, what prompted him to do that? He is mocking the God of Israel. It wasn't that whoever beat this Goliath would, would be rewarded with the king's daughter or be given a lot of money or anything. That isn't what motivated him. What motivated him was God's name. And fruitful mourning is not about our name. It's not about our reputation. It's not because of how this affected me. It's, it's a concern for God's name. God, I am grieved because look how this is reflecting on your name. Fruitful mourning sees sin as God does. That means fruitful mourning must be built on the Word. Because the Word of God alone shows us what sin is. Man's opinion of sin changes as quickly as the weather changes. And the only way we will know what sin is, it doesn't matter what the media says is sin, it doesn't matter what a church says is sin, it doesn't matter what seminaries say is sin, it doesn't matter what your friends and and small groups say is sin, it only matters what God says is sin. And genuine mourning is based on the Word of God and it sees sin... As God does. That means it involves seeing the depravity of man. I mean, you can't be a student of history without understanding just how vile and wicked mankind can be. I mean, throughout history, mankind, for the sake of conquering or dominance or greed or whatever else have over and over and over again have wiped out literally millions of people at a time. We're familiar with with the Holocaust and we say, how could that happen? The depravity of man. Man is very, very wicked by nature. How could the things, how, what, what motivates people to strap on their bodies explosive and run into a crowd and blow themselves up? The bottom line, you can say, well, this religion or that or whatever. The bottom line, it's the depravity of man. The results of sin in our world. You know, we, we, don't, we don't often mourn about sin, but the results of sin in our world, we call it news. It's the depravity of man working out, bringing violence and crime and death. Those are... Those are some of the more gruesome, and I'm not going to take the time today to list 
facts and figures about all the crimes and this and that. It's why our founding fathers said Christianity is the only religion that deals with the heart. That's why our republic must be based on Christianity. If the heart is not dealt with, no laws made will empower to bring the heart in subjection. And a mourning over sin, a mourning understanding in a much more mild manner, I would say, in understanding sin. There are many of you here today that understand the grief that is like a knife-like tear that comes in the sadness of your own heart as you've lost the one that you've lived the majority of your life with and you many times over seek to go say something to them and realize they're no longer there. It's the emptiness that you bear when you eat alone It's a grief of teaching yourself to go to bed without saying good night to the one who has passed. It's the grief of wishing that things were different when you know they are not and never will be. Grief is a whole cluster of adjustments and apprehensions and uncertainties. that all circle around the aspect of death. And as by one man sin, death entered into the world. And our mourning and our grieving must come in understanding sin, that as Adam and Eve believed the lie and willingly gave themselves, so death was passed upon all men. The results of sin in our world that we often don't think about except certain times when we're at church or certain holidays the morning that it was sin that crucified Jesus Christ. See, this is all part of seeing sin the way God does. See, sin is defined by the Bible. See, sin is producing death. See, sin as crucifying Jesus Christ. And it was my sin that crucified Jesus Christ. So it's taking personal responsibility for sin. Fruitful mourning is concerned for God's name. It sees sin as God does, and it takes personal responsibility for sin. Yes, it was my sin that crucified Christ. Yes, it was my lying to you that produced this consequence. And I am grieved over my sin. It is my selfishness that caused me to do this. 
But all of that is vain and empty unless it comes down to this. Fruitful morning. And this is where the last point is the most important point. Fruitful morning brings us to Jesus. I can weep. I can mourn. I can can grieve. But unless that brings me to Jesus, it is not blessed. It is unfruitful mourning. Blessed are those who realize the awfulness of sin and are driven to Jesus for the cure. There is a Redeemer, Jesus Christ the righteous. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, the burden of my sin, not in part, but all of it, has nailed him to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. It is well with my soul. And you cannot have rejoicing in Jesus Christ until you first of all come to mourn and be broken over your sin. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, we have a cheap grace today. This was not today. This was back in the 40s. We have a cheap grace today because we've never come to understand the awfulness of sin. And mourning is concerned for God's name. It sees sin as God does. It takes personal responsibility for sin. And fruitful mourning brings us to Jesus Christ. Not just for salvation. Fruitful morning brings us to Jesus Christ for life. A man by the name of Elijah Hoffman, a pastor, and he, he was visiting in the home of one of his was people in his church. Sorrow and affliction had been frequent, frequent visitors to this home. And there he found the mother in deep anguish of soul. He counseled with her. He quoted verses from the Bible, which he had hoped would console her. However, she seemed unable to rise above the distress. He then suggested that she could do nothing better than to take all of her sorrows. And he said, You must tell Jesus. A light broke across her face and she cried, Yes, I must tell Jesus. After a period of prayer, she arose and returned and her face had a brightness that wasn't back, hadn't been there for some time. And Hoffman immediately left with the words, I must tell Jesus ringing in his heart. As soon as he arrived home, he was still 
impressed by this whole experience, and he wrote, I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, he kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for his own. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. Jesus can help me. Jesus alone. And I don't care what you're mourning about. I don't care what grief comes into your life. If it does not drive you to Jesus Christ, if it does not draw you to Jesus Christ, it is unfruitful mourning. But if it draws you to Jesus Christ, you will have joy and rejoicing. And he promises, blessed are they that mourn and are driven to Jesus Christ, for they will be comforted. And we could, we could list throughout the Bible of those that went to Jesus Christ. We can list throughout history. We can list throughout current life. And there are many, many Christians. You can't avoid mourning. We can't. It comes in life. People die. And we grieve and we mourn. But it's not to build a shrine about them. It's not to do something like, it's, I must run to Jesus. He is the only comfort that I can find in this. There come adverse circumstances in life that are beyond what we can bear. I cannot bear this burden alone. In 1858, Scottish missionary John G. Patton and his wife sailed for the New Hebrides Islands. Three months after arriving, his wife died. One week later, his infant son, so his wife died three months after being there. One week after she died, Through complications of childbirth, the infant son died. Patton was plunged into sorrow. Feeling terribly alone, surrounded by savages, cannibals, headhunters that had no sympathy whatsoever for him at all. He wrote these words. Let those who have ever passed through any similar darkness as of midnight feel for me. As for all others, it would be more than vain to try to paint my sorrows. But for Jesus and his fellowship, I would have gone mad and died. You notice what he said? I can't even paint the picture of the darkness of this. And were it not for Jesus and his fellowship, I would have died. John G. Patton continued faithful as a missionary, saw God completely transform 
cannibals in the New Hebrides Islands because he found comfort in his mourning because his mourning brought him to Jesus Christ. There is much for us to mourn about just in our land. Take a look at what's going on in our land. And it it ought to cause us to mourn to the point of being driven to Jesus. You know, we say, yeah, we used to live in a day when when the President of the United States would call for a day of prayer and fasting. Can you imagine our President doing that day? Man, I can't imagine that. We haven't had that blah, 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 blah. We shouldn't need a President to call us to the day of prayer and fasting. We're not mourning over our sin. We're mourning over our stocks dropping. We're mourning over things getting worse. We're mourning over all these things. We're not mourning over sin. When's the last time you mourned about all those that are being murdered in our land? From in the womb to whatever color they are. We don't mourn about sin. We want the comfort of Christ. You can't have the comfort of Christ unless the morning drives you to Christ. Jesus is standing there in front of the disciples, in front of the crowd. I'm sorry, he's seated there. He's seated in front of them, and he said, Blessed are those that have come to the point that they're broken, and they realize, I cannot please God. I cannot do the work of God. I am, I am totally bankrupt before God, and I look around, and my heart is broken at my own sin, at the depravity of man, at the nature of our world today, and my own sin... And I come to Jesus. Mourning or brokenness always precedes revival. Someone else has paraphrased this beatitude by saying, Blessed are you when you feel you have lost what is most dear to you, only then to be embraced by the one most dear to you. There often comes times in our life when God takes what is most dear to our soul to bring us to find what truly is most dear to our soul in Jesus Christ. And that's when the morning is a blessing. That's when you can rejoice in the Lord always in the midst of that morning because Christ is all I need. That's the cry of the heart. Give me Jesus. We're familiar with the song, Tell It to Jesus. It's interesting. There's four stanzas of the song. The first stanza mentions our griefs. Are you weary? Are you heavy hearted? Tell it to Jesus. Are you grieving over joys departed? 
tell it to Jesus. It, it, it takes for granted. In life, there are grief. There are heavy burdens. We experience many of these things. But it says, tell it to Jesus. So it's dealing with various griefs of life. The second stanza deals with our sin. Do the tears flow down your cheek unbidden? Tell it to Jesus. Have you sins that two men's eyes are hidden? Tell it to Jesus alone. The third stanza mentions our anxieties, our fears, because of all the world around us. Do you fear the gathering storms of sorrow? Tell it to Jesus. Are you anxious what shall be tomorrow? Tell it to Jesus. The fourth stanza then mentions death. Are you troubled at the thought of dying? Tell it to Jesus. For Christ's coming kingdom, are you sighing? Tell it to Jesus alone. And the chorus reminds us, whatever problems or difficulties or mournings we face in life, we can tell it to Jesus, tell it to Jesus. He is a friend that's well known. You've no other such a friend or brother. Tell it to Jesus alone. But do you understand the nature of our hearts struggle with going to Jesus? We'll tell it to family. We'll tell it to friends. We'll tell it to Facebook. We'll tell it to Snapchat and chat, tap, and blap, blap. And we'll tell it to everybody. But blessed are those that mourn and who allow the mourning to bring them to Jesus. They will be comforted. Heavenly Father, I have no idea the grief that individuals may be bearing here today. I have no idea all the grief that people have borne in this life. Lord, we have no idea what may be ahead of us this week. Life is hard. But Lord, when that morning causes us to run to you, it is blessed. And I pray for individuals that may be here today that have been battling with their own sin, but they've never come to see that you paid for all their sins, that there is a Redeemer. Lord, I pray today that they would truly come to you. Lord, I pray for believers here today, perhaps some that are here and have said, I've been hurt, and I'm never going to let that happen again. And they're going through life hardened. Lord, I pray that they would come to you for healing and health. Lord, I pray for individuals that may be bearing a great burden today. I pray that they would know the comfort that comes as we...
cast all our care upon you because you do care for us. And I pray that we would know the blessing of experiencing affliction and grief and mourning because it draws us to the very heart of you. Lord, forgive me and forgive us for going to all these other places rather than coming to you. And as a result, having mourning that is unfruitful, that produces more mourning, Lord, may we know the comfort that only your presence can give. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.